two Sundays ago now, we began a new uh, sermon series, a four-part series, um, to start our year off. And we're looking at this uh, series we call uh, A Renewed Purpose, Living Out the All-Encompassing Great Commission. Ryan, do you mind if you also put up the slides on the TV as well? Is that possible or no? Okay, if not, it's okay. I will try to use the iPad here. Okay, is that what you're seeing? Okay, good. Yeah, and renewed purpose, living out the all-encompassing Great Commission. We're studying the Great Commission found in the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, this is when having now conquered sin and death through the resurrection, Jesus gathers his disciples on a mountaintop in Galilee. And then let's read these verses together again uh, as we have been for the last two weeks. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain onto which Jesus had dis- And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God. And so, uh, if you guys have been uh, with us, you would have uh, known that we have divided this series into the four parts, uh, into its four alls. Uh, So, first week, we looked at all authority in heaven and on earth has now been given to Jesus. And uh, second week, we looked at how uh, Jesus uh, instructs his disciples to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I want to just take time maybe to summarize uh, in a statement to help us understand uh, what we've uh, been talking about. So first is that our lives can have renewed purpose because Jesus has authority over all things. Now, in my first sermon, I used the story of Rosaria Butterfield. Um, I, I hope it inspired some of us to uh, begin reading her book. It's, it's a very inspiring testimony that she has. I share the story to demonstrate what it's like to trust in Jesus' authority, to have a renewed purpose in life. The purpose of each of our lives is determined by whose authority we submit under. All right, think about it. Some of us may be like Rosaria or have lived a life like her, Um, before she accepted the love from from God, where we think we place ourselves under our own authority or appeal at least to some sort of earthly authority to find purpose in life. Now, some of these external earthly authorities are very familiar to us, and perhaps we do cling on to them for recognition. Note, because they define our careers, they define our social status, Maybe it's the form of a diploma or a certificate, or maybe it's in the form of a title, 
a PhD, an MD, a JD. I don't know if any of us is a JP or a CPA, etc. Yet there are other um, external earthly authorities that we fear, right? We don't like them because they have the power to take away our recognition, to take away what holds dear in our hearts. Perhaps we submit to these authorities because they can take away our reputation or they, they, they have the, the authority to take away our salaries or they have the authority to take away our freedom to travel. Whatever it is, we submit to some sort of authority in this life. But Jesus is calling his disciples. He's calling each of us who are following Jesus today to submit to his authority, knowing that all authority has been given to him. All authority has been given to him so that we can find a renewed purpose in life. Now, his purpose for us is a renewed purpose because it's, it frees us. It un binds us from the bondage of sin and darkness. It sets us free. And this purpose guides us back to the Creator's original intent, how God has originally intended for humanity. And it sets our trajectory into eternal peace and eternal joy. That's why it's a renewed purpose worthy of following. Now, second. I want to summarize with this statement that our renewed purpose in Christ extends not to the bounds of our hearts, but extends to all humanity. When Jesus calls his disciples into a renewed purpose, he is explicit about the, uh, extending his invitation to all humanity, to all people groups in this world. All believers, therefore, are called uh, in some way to participate in this movement of going and making disciples of Jesus. This means that, you know, it's not reserved for a privileged few. It's also not just reserved for you, but it's reserved for all human beings. We are called, each of us are called, to cross cultural, to cross social, to cross political divides, to make disciples. Okay, I hope these two statements are helpful in just summarizing where we've been. And so today, as we continue uh, to explore into the Great Commission and look at how Jesus is calling us to make disciples, uh, we look at the third point. And the main point of my message this morning is this, that our renewed purpose is to live in and live out all of God's Word that our renewed purpose is to live in and to live out all of God's word. After Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, he then goes on to expand on what disciple making is going to involve, what it's going to look like to make disciples. He continued in verse 19. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, this morning, similar to what we did last week, we're just going to look at this verse by 
focusing on the two verbs presented in this verse. So last week we looked at go and make disciples. And uh, we will study this passage by um, looking at uh, two new verbs today. That is baptizing and teaching. First, let's look at baptizing. What is, what is being baptized anyway? What does baptism mean? Well, this word means to be washed. Now, many of us know, uh, know this and have experienced this for yourself. It means to be washed, to be purified by water, especially to renew or establish a relationship with God is what the Bible means by baptism. But I want us to look at this ritual itself and its, its roots to help us better understand why this is important, uh, part of disciple-making. Now, this ritual of entering and then re-emerging from water is actually a pattern that repeats throughout the Bible. It is a pattern of God providing salvation for His people. Now, if you just think with me back to Genesis 1, okay? Think of when God created this world. He said to have separated light from darkness, he said then to have separated the waters to create an expanse, right? So there's a water above and there's water below and there's an expanse. Then what he did was he gathered the water underneath to reveal dry land. I hope you're following. Still with me? This dry land is said to have emerged from this chaotic waters, creating a space where humanity now thrives. Right? We're on dry land now. But then, as we read on in Genesis, we know that starting from chapter 3, humanity unleashes that chaos back into the world by rebelling against God. So in a sense, we've reversed creation with our rebellious act. But what did God do? Did God just say, all right, you, you, you do you, I do I, or we do we? No, he said he did not stop loving us, but provided ways to rescue us. And what we then see is the story of the Bible is a pattern of God rescuing a group of people by passing them through water over and over again, just passing them through water. Where do we see that? Any clue? We bring people passing water. Yeah, Exodus. How many times in Exodus? Two, three, maybe? <laughs> well, I would say there's two times and then maybe one time in Joshua. But, but what are those times? Did you know that Moses, his name, means to be lifted or removed or plucked out of the water? Yeah, I believe the kids will be learning that so you can test them that. His life began. How does his life begin? He was about to be murdered, wasn't he? But then his mother put him in a basket and put him on Nile. And because he was then lifted out and picked out by the princess, uh, the, the Pharaoh's daughter, uh, he, was, he was saved and he was uh, consequently named Moses. And then we see how Moses, after he grew up, and he, you know, he brought the Israelites out of slavery by passing through the Red Sea and onto dry land. 
And then fast forward in the Gospels, we read about how John the Baptist inviting those who responded to his message of repentance to also pass through water as a sign of renewing their commitment to God. And so here, today, as we read, at the end of Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is instructing believers to make disciples by participating in this ancient biblical pattern of passing through water. Signifying death and chaos, which is the water, the chaotic waters that we go into. But then we emerge as we follow Jesus to the other side, signifying a resurrection and the entrance into new creation. I think for many of us can relate to this as we think about COVID, you know. The whole world has been entrenched in this chaotic waters of COVID for many years. And now that we are just re-emerging from it, um, you know, I think a lot of it, for, at least for me, feels like we're being baptized. We're coming out of this chaotic waters. Just a year ago, we were still required to wear masks. And, you know, like the chaotic waters that we are brought into when we pass through the water during baptism, the, the COVID times, the pandemic, had been um, not where we want it to be, not where we want to remain. But when we're lifted out, we, we, we are able to breathe fresh air, just like how we are able to take off our masks and do exactly that. Breathing new life. When Jesus instructs his disciples to baptize new believers in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. First, this declaration. I don't know what comes to mind, but for me, this declaration of the name of God, who is three in one, echoes back to the point that Jesus made where all authority is now given to him. But what's equally profound is that by becoming Jesus' disciple, by being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we, we participate in the perfect love of the Holy Trinity. We're invited to participate in the perfect love of God. Listen to the Gospel of John. Um, here, uh, Jesus says in chapter 15, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. That's Jesus' invitation for all those who follow him today. Now, that is why I state in the main point of this sermon that, that part of our renewed purpose is following uh, Jesus, in following Jesus, as followers of Jesus, is to live in all of God's Word. By baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and Spirit, we, we enter into a renewed relationship with God. And as we briefly saw, all of God's Word, the Bible, the entire thing points to this as God's way of rescuing his people. And so our renewed purpose, part of it is to live in all of God's word, to remain in God's love. Let's look at the second verb. Um, Jesus instructs his disciples to teach new believers, to observe all that he has commanded them. 
So we're going to look at the word teaching. What I find encouraging and profound, again, when I'm just looking at this word and looking at it in the context of this verse, is that throughout the gospel, throughout the gospel of Matthew, it has been always Jesus who is the teacher. He is the one who teaches. But now, at the end of the gospel, Jesus is now passing this responsibility to teach to his disciples. Yet the disciples are not called to teach their own stuff, but then to teach under Jesus' authority all the commandments he has left behind. Now then comes my second question. What does it mean to be teaching all of Jesus' commands? All sounds a big word here. Well, first of all, it means that his disciples, as his followers, were not to make selections uh, from his teachings based on what pleases us or pleases other people um, and neglect the rest. That's not what we're called to do. The teachings of Jesus should be passed on as a unified whole, and the followers are called to observe all that is commanded. Now, in, um, earlier in the gospel, in chapter 5, Jesus reminds his disciples that he had not come to abolish, meaning he has not come to uh, cancel out what's written in the Old Testament Bible. In verse 18, he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Well, you know, some, did you know that some had counted there to be um, 613 commandments in the uh, first five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, uh, that we sometimes call the Torah, or we sometimes call it the Mosaic Law, or just simply the law. There's a lot of commands um, contained in Old Testament scripture. So are we, are we asked to follow all of them? And if so, how do we follow them today? How are we supposed to even keep them, let alone teach them, you know, if we don't even know them? Well, we, we first, I think, have to understand that it's important because um, Jesus says in verse 19, um, whoever relaxes one of these or one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so here we see that Jesus wants his disciples to take every commandment in God's word seriously. But how do we do that? Well, I, I want to introduce to us what we're going to do in this, the, the rest of this year. We, we want to take the law seriously, too, at EEC. I, we want to learn and be able to teach all of God's commands through the way Jesus taught them. And so after this series on Great Commission, we will embark on a journey to survey through the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, we're going to do a survey, meaning we're not going to go verse by verse, but to help us understand uh, how to read these books with Jesus in mind. In fact, 
I hope this is not scaring you. 2024 will be the first year out of a six-year plan for us to go on a chronological, Christ-centered journey through the storyline of the entire Bible. <laughs> All right, yeah, there we go. <laughs> I, see ner- I hear nervous laughs and <laughs> one woohoo. <laughs> We're going to do this, okay, as a church. We're going to look into the Bible seriously. Now, by chronological, what I mean is that we will start from the first book of the Bible and we will end with the last. <laughs> and when I say Christ-centered, because we want to study through the Bible and learn how every part points to help us see Jesus. It points to help us see Jesus Christ. And my, my hope is that we will come out of every sermon understanding and be able to share and live out the gospel of Jesus with more depth and breadth and whatever other words you can explain how fully you are able to then understand and live out the gospel. Now, some of us are very used to uh, 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 like gospel in a tract or gospel being said in a two-minute elevator um, uh, pitch. Um, that's, that's okay. That's, that's just like when someone has fully understood the gospel, they're able to then synthesize and be able to communicate concisely to people that they're communicating it to. But I want us to, I want to challenge us and, and to really remember that that in itself is not the gospel. The gospel, it has to be lived out. The gospel has to be understood uh, through the un, uh, understanding of the entire uh, or the whole unified uh, collection of God's word that is revealed to his people today. And, and so, yeah, let's, let's, Come along with me on this journey. Let's study through the scripture together and go through the first five books together uh, in 2024. Now, um, to help us, uh, or to help me, rather, to introduce the importance and the relevance uh, of studying through the whole Bible, and particularly the law, the first five books, uh, and the prophets, uh, here's a six-minute video published by Bible Project. Um, yeah, with great illustrations, animation, and a great voice to help us be introduced into this series. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take. You're most likely... ...familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we... All right, it looks like we have some technical difficulty. That's fine. We can show that at the end. Um, 
Yeah, don't worry. Uh, we can show that at the end. You're most likely familiar with the ten. Or now. Stuff we generate. If it's ready, yeah, we can show it from the beginning. Is it stuck? Okay. Well, we can show it as a separate video clip uh, because it's already downloaded. Yeah, Chris can help you out on that. No worries. Um, you guys just have to wait for it. So this, this new series will start on the 11th of February. So you can, you can put that in your calendar. And that's after Communion Sunday on February 4th, which I will introduce something new on that day as well. So be prepared. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it slowly. Um, and uh, hopefully that we can come alongside each other on this uh, journey of learning, uh, journey of meditating on scripture um, to help us really grow um, and to understand how, as a church, we can go and make disciples for Jesus this year. Now, if you had watched the video, you would have seen that it ended on a verse. It ended on... Let's see. Oops. Can't go back on the... in the Bible. Stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents. The list goes on. Can we do, do it from the beginning? The They're actually... You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible. Stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents. The list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law, because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, no, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention, because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. If don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws. And then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. 
So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's command wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there, to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others, and he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy, and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's Spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. Hopefully that was a, a clear introduction to why it is important and relevant for us to study through the law, to give us a fuller picture of the gospel of Jesus, both for our own um, maturity and for the way that we can connect with others and to share this good news with those around us. The, now, the video ended with this verse from, from Romans. Um, I don't know. 
how to go back on this. Oh, there we go. This uh, verse from Romans chapter 13, verse 8, where Paul writes, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So whenever the Bible talks about love, it's never just about the feeling in your heart without also referring to the actions and conducts in order for us to live out that love. And so just going back to the main point of my message today, that our renewed purpose is to live in, but is also to live out all of God's word, to put it in action, to live out the love that Jesus has given us. So Jesus calls his disciples, his followers, to make disciples by baptizing them, passing through the waters to signify with their new life, in submission to Jesus' authority and his word. He also calls his followers to then teach disciples to observe all that he's commanded, which ultimately means that our new life in Jesus needs to be lived out. It needs to be. It's only normal. It's only natural that we live it out if we have fully experienced his love. Now, finally, in the, in the video, we briefly saw what true love looks like, what true love looks like through the life of Jesus. And just as how Christ showed his love for humanity, even unto death, the love that we are called into when we imitate Christ will lead us into persecution and suffering. And so that is the cost we call it the cost of discipleship. But how are we supposed to live through that as Christians? Well, we'll look in that, into that next week. Let's pray. Father God, as... as I come to ponder just about how you have revealed your good news, the way that you have used prophets in the past to lay down your word for us, the way that you have done that through millennia. It brings me to a place of awe and worship. And God, we know that when we are invited into eternal life, that life is a life signified by how we can fully know you, just as you fully know us now. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir up our appetite, stir in our hearts to yearn and to desire for your word, and through your word to know your will and desire for us.
Lord, I pray that you will guide us into understanding. And Lord, I do pray that your presence with us will embolden us and will encourage us to live these commands out with full assurance and confidence that all authority is with you, Jesus. And that our life, our eternal hope is secured in you. In Jesus' name I pray.